Welcome to St. Martin's Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music, a special welcome to those joining us online. I once uh, spoke to an advertising executive uh, about what he'd learnt in his many years in the job and he told me there were two words in advertising that were more powerful than any other words in the language. Those two words were new and again new and again. And if you think about the power of the major motifs of the Christian faith, new and again pretty much covers it. Uh, creation, obviously new. Uh, resurrection, Easter, is both new and again, you know, um, come back to life. Uh, Christmas is new, but it's also, as the Gospels take pains to point out, it's again because it's Israel again, it's, it's fulfilling the Old Testament. So throughout the music we're going to enjoy with you uh, this afternoon, we've got those two, theme, two, th two themes of new and again. And if you think that, that brand new and restoration are both different kinds of miracles, you see how did you make that amazing new thing? That's, a, that's an, a, almost like a miracle. But also if you think of Bakhmut right now, right on the front line and being absolutely annihilated uh, by Russian bombing, you think one day that will be a city again and that will feel like a miracle. So both of those themes running through our music today. We're going to start as our tradition at Great Sacred Music by singing a hymn together which you can find on the inside of the handout sheets. It's Ye Choirs of New Jerusalem. This was written in the 11th century, so it's quite a venerable hymn by Bishop Fulbert of Chartres. And I guess the most important thing for heritage about Fulbert, apart from this hymn, of course, was he was the person that re rebuilt, the, rebuilt the magnificent Chartres Cathedral after the fire of 1020. He was very keen on Mary. He was very instrumental in Mary's nativity being celebrated on the 8th of September each year, even by the Church of England. And if you look uh, in detail at the words of this hymn, you can find a lot of language from Revelation 5 about Judah's lion, the language of Genesis 3, crushing the serpent's head, uh, and the medieval imagery of Christ's harrowing of hell. It's got lots of medieval theology in it. It's a kind of little primer in medieval theology in its way. Uh, it was translated in 1850 by a Catholic uh, uh, Scottish convert. Um, and if it feels odd to have a rather very Victorian tune to a very 11th century hymn, then that's because when Hymns Ancient and Modern was compiled in 1861, just 11 years after the, the, this was translated into English, uh, a special tune was written for the first edition of Hymns Ancient and Modern uh, for this hymn. We're going to remain seated. The voices will stand and lead us as we sing with full gusto, Ye Choirs of New Jerusalem.
Well, we're going to enjoy two contrasting pieces on the theme of new life now. First of all, Edward Spence, Ed, Edmund, I should say, Edmund Spencer, uh, best known for the Fairy Queen, an epic poem and allegory celebrating the Tudor dynasty and Elizabeth I, wrote uh, this uh, sonnet, Most Glorious Lord of Life, in the 1590s. You need to remember that in the Middle Ages, Easter was a much more significant festival than Christmas, and so this was the height of the Christian year. And in this fascinating poem, he ruminates on the love that Christ showed to humanity by sacrificing himself on the cross for them. And you imagine this is a poem whispered into the ear of the beloved he reflects to his beloved that they should take their lesson from Christ and practice love towards one another. So it's, it's playing with the not, for the, not the first person in history who's ever done this, but is playing with, on the one hand, religious devotion, and on the other hand, romantic love, and getting them, shall we say, a little bit confused. Uh, but that's the power of the poem. Then we're going to hear uh, New Life in Christ, which is a composition by William Lloyd Webber, the clue is in the name, uh, a deeply romantic composer with a gift for melody. He felt so out of step with the music of his time that he stopped composing for long periods. Of course, that's why I stopped long composing for long periods as well. I felt so out of step with the music of my time. Um, but of course, best known as the father of Andrew and Julian. It's bad enough being better, you know, not as well known as your father. It's almost worse being not, not as well known as your children, I think. Um, however, we're going to hear New Life in Christ, which is the last part of the cantata, the Savior. And the voices, these very voices, uh, sang this on, uh, in this very church uh, in a concert on the centenary of William Lloyd Webber's birth. And the review said these wonderful words, the parry like final pages of this cantata are as thrilling and climactic as anything to be found in British choral music. So here, we, here it comes, but first we'll hear Edmund Spencer.
I often wonder what St. Paul would think if he walked into St. Martin the Fields in 2023 and heard the words of Roman 8 set, set and sung like that. Would, would he think he'd entered heaven? Would he think he'd, his whole work had been fulfilled? Something you think about on your way home. I have no idea, but I enjoyed it. Uh, we're now going to hear Come New, which, is, which was written by the Norfolk contemporary composer Annalise Roy. Uh, this is taking newness from its, in a sense, obvious place, the resurrections we've just been hearing, the cross and resurrection of Christ, back into the Psalms. She's got uh, uh, an interesting combination here of lines from the Psalms and intimate devotional phrases.
Well, we've talked about the newness of creation, and we've talked about the againness of the eschaton, of the end of all things, the last day, and about how those, the newness and the againness come together in Christ's resurrection. But there's one uh, motif, I guess, that we haven't talked about yet, and that is conversion. Conversion is, is coming new. Uh, particularly as understood by the Methodist revival of the 18th century. Uh, Charles Wesley was converted on May the 21st, 1738. I don't know how many people here commemorated the anniversary just a few days ago. Um, he probably wrote maybe his most famous hymn on the first anniversary of his con conversion. It's uh, over a thousand tongues to sing, which we're going to sing in a few moments' time traditionally took first place <clears throat> in all Methodist hymnals thereafter, starting with John Wesley's collection of hymns for the people called Methodists in 1780. Uh, the, it's an interesting phrase when you pause to think about it. Those of you who are used to church and used to singing hymns are so used to the phrase over a thousand tongues to sing, you might hardly ever have paused over it. But not many of us are equipped with a thousand tongues, nor would we know quite where in our mouth we would put them. So it's a, it is a kind of strange expression. Uh, it's most probably one that he picked up from the Moravian Peter Burler, who wrote the words, had I a thousand tongues, I would praise him with them all. So it wasn't Charles's originally, but it's still, when you think about it, a rather curious phrase, although a rather wonderful one. We're gonna remain seated, the voices are gonna stand and lead us, on the inside of your sheets, you can find the words for Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
coming towards the end of Great Sacred Me Music for this week. If you've enjoyed yourself, I hope you have. There's plenty of opportunities to make a donation, either in cash as you leave, or by text, or by using the QR codes on the back of your sheets, or by swiping a card also as you leave. Uh, our sister program, Choral Classics, convenes 3.15 on Sunday afternoon with a hymn to the Trinity for Trinity Sunday. And next Thursday, uh, we will be marking World Ocean Day, which I'm sure is a big day on all of your calendars, uh, or with music on a maritime theme, including Herbert Sumption's rather wonderful They That Go Down to the Sea in Ships. We're going to conclude with Bob Chilcott's This Day, another intriguing piece that comes from a Hebrew text. The unison section explores three dimensions of God's favor in the call on God to strengthen, bless, and lift those who offer praise. And then it moves on to this intriguing phrase, visit us for good. It's intriguing because it's a phrase that appeals equally to Jews for whom the Messiah has not come, but the blessings the Messiah will bring are still deeply sought, and to Christians for whom the Messiah has come, and the prayer is for the Holy Spirit to bring to God's people the blessings already given in Christ. Thanks for joining us.